Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer noob rock in America. Soccer noob rock in America. Featuring person Talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring you know who? Me. Wait, and who is you? That's right, that is you. I am Soccer Noob New too. Following soccer, you are Person Noob New too. Being alone. <laughs> are you hoping to someday escape being Person Noob? No. Get some other special moniker. That's right. And why are we never giving up our names? Branding. <laughs> That's right. Branding purposes. Very good. I didn't know if you would remember that I said that before or not. Anyway, what have you gotten yourself into? Well, me and the kid, we are going to give you mini previews of football matches from all over the world. Which ones? Well, 10 of the best and most intriguing and paramount matches from all over the world. Every country, every confederation, they are all in our range of vision. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big or small one. If a match is important where it's being played, like a top two league matchup or a national team matchup or a club tournament matchup, hey, it's going to be on our radar. As always, our Soccer Week will run Friday through Thursday here this February. That is going to run the 17th through the 24th. But before we get into that, person noob, what's news? How you been? Um, Pretty good. Have you been stressed out with it being, uh, what time of year is it at school? The end of the trimester. That's right. I think you're going to have to get used to semesters once you get into middle school next year, though I don't know for sure. But here at your current school, and you were in what grade? Five. Yep, five. Fifth grade, not five years old. Ten years old, fifth grade. grade. Yeah. Five grade. Multiples of five. Yes. <laughs> That's right. And how, how did you, have you been stressing out about it? Because you had like a test at the very end of the trimester, right? Uh, yeah. Did you have to do a lot of studying? No. Was the test over all your subjects or just like one or a couple particular subjects? Uh, no, we did a test, um, uh, on the last day of the trimester. Uh, and it was a vocabulary test and it was just like we had to do it. Oh, I remember you mentioning that now. I'd honestly forgotten because you had to do a bunch of stuff, not only with words, but specifically with, uh, uh, affix. Do you call them affixes or do you just say suffixes and prefixes? Suffixes and prefixes. Gotcha. Affix is the general all-inclusive word for those. So I might be soccer noob, but I am linguistic pro. Yeah. Or at least not noob, maybe not pro. I don't know. I was an English major, but not a linguistics major. So you feel like your report card's going to you know, come out pretty good and you know, mommy and daddy be happy? Eh, maybe. <laughs> There's a reasonable possibility, but you know, you're... You're good at being friends with everybody at the school, not falling into certain cliques. 
and I know your teachers appreciate that. So I know your grades are going to be at the least pretty darn good. They'll probably be great, to be perfectly honest, folks. But it's the other part that makes us extra happy. And I'm also happy because not only are you a student, but you are a teacher. Because what have you been teaching me about this week? The new meme. That's right. I am I am, uh, I am. am meme noob as well. And uh, Little Miss here had told me about a meme that I thought was a live action meme that somebody had set the background singing to. And it might be one you're familiar with, but why don't you describe to the people what you've been teaching me? It's the let me do it for you. Yeah. Do you know what kind of dog I read those are? No. I heard of it before because it's a good Scrabble word and I play competitive Scrabble. Uh, I think it's pronounced Bortsoy. B-O-R-S-O-I dogs. They have the really long noses. And because of that long nose, and well, for anybody who's not familiar, describe the animated meme. Uh, there's this guy who is attempting to get the last Pringle out of the Pringles can. And then there's a giant dog with a big snout. Let me do it for you. And then he sticks his snout, and then it goes down the entire earth, and then it goes like farther than the earth. He grabs it, and then he gives it to him for me, and then it's a big hug. Yeah, it's it's very strange. It's it's not quite the stuff of nightmare fuel, but that that Pringles can is you know goes through the center of the earth and somehow survives. And I've seen some other memes since then too that are you know variations of that meme, but the original. Uh, is quality and it's strange and I sort of appreciate you dragging me into <laughs> the modern world of TikTok and memes and Pac-Man and hula hoops and everything else that's popular these days with you hip kids. Do you even know what a hula hoop is? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I wasn't sure. I suppose they've got them in your like PE or something, don't they? Me uh, and my friend see a, uh... Oh, we're trying to see, like, who could who look the longest. Uh, uh, she won on the first one. Uh, and then we did two. So, like, each of us had two. I won that one. And then each of us had three. My friend won that one. Were you trying to see who could get the most hula hoops going at once, or was it how long you could do a single hula hoop around your waist? Uh, so we had one hula hoop. So my friend had one, and I had one. We did that. Whoever uh, hula hooped the longest won. Then we'd add a second one. And then we do that. Whoever won that one won. That oh, one. goodness. That was crazy. So who is the overall hula hoop champion? You or your friend? My friend won two out of three. Did you let her win just to be nice? No. <laughs> you're a nice kid, but you're not that nice, are you? She won one in three and I won two. Well, I'm glad that nobody went away uh, uh, empty-handed with no victories whatsoever. Oh, I remember uh, Remember earlier I said I was trying to think of something that uh, we could talk about. I thought it was related to school, but it was the meme. Because remember, because of the meme and you teaching me the meme, when we had to go to the tire shop for my flat, we went to the convenience store across the street, and what did we buy? Pringles. Yeah, just to celebrate the meme, but what was the problem with them Pringles? Uh, well, I was expecting to um, just like do the let me do it for you, and then I opened it, and there were a bunch of crumbs. So then we dumped all the crumbs onto a paper towel. And the, the whole entire thing was just crumbs, not a singular whole Pringle in there. It was, yeah, that seemed like more than standard shipping issues. I mean, it was like somebody shook that thing repeatedly until you just about could have snorted them like an illegal substance, which doesn't come recommended, even if it's uh, onion and sour cream. You should not. Kids, that's our public service announcement for you. Don't snort Pringles dust. 
See, okay. that's the reason for our podcast. We bring the public service to the people. We're a service. That's what I've always said. Haven't you heard me say that? No. <laughs> and also, we bring support to Subway. Go buy Subway. Subway is not a sponsor of this show. And we, their, bre- their bread has so much sugar, they can't even call it bread in Ireland. I know that. Well, <laughs> well guess what? What? We sponsor Subway for free. Yeah, I suppose. Why not? All right. Well, now that we've got our unofficial official sponsor out of the way, shall we get into the soccer? Sure, why not? All right. Let's kick things off with... March number one! We waste no time getting started on Friday in the CAF, that is the Confederation of African Football Champions League, which is in its group stage. There are four groups of four taking part at this level. The top two from each group are going to advance. I do not know if it matters whether you finish in first or second in terms of who you will get to play in the knockout round. And I would love for somebody to find me a soccer noob USA on Twitter. I've been looking for that even on the CAF home webpage, and I honestly can't find it. And I'd be really interested to know because they could be using that for seeding or it could be completely random once they get to the round of 16, or they might continue using the overall five-year coefficients in Africa for this. In any event, the match that we look, are going to look at, the look most interesting to me is Al Marek out of Sudan versus Zamalek from the Premier League in Egypt. Both of these teams are really good and both of them lost their opening matches. This is, I don't know quite enough about African football yet to say that they are currently in a group of death, but I expect this to be one of, if not perhaps the most interesting one of the four. As they are hosting, it is our tradition, we'll talk about Almerake first out of Sudan, specifically out of the city of Omdurman, which is not officially part of the capital city of Khartoum. There's basically a three-city metro where they are all geographically divided uh, by tributaries of the Nile. So they're part of one great big overall major metro area. By the way, I thought it was something else for some reason, but I did a little Googling and Marake means Mars. I'm not sure what that planet has to do, if anything, specifically with this area, or I thought was more likely Islam. That's another thing I would love to find out even more about from you. Let's talk about it on Twitter. I can say with far more confidence that they are known as the Red Devils, and that they won an event internationally called the African Cup Winners' Cup in 1989. If you're not familiar with that, don't worry. It's now a defunct event. Basically, before the Confederations Cup came into existence, which is the secondary tournament below the Champions League, that event was one of two precursors. I just want you to let you know that they've got some historical success. In fact, moving up on our timeline, the Confederations Cup, they won that in 2007. And they have also won the Sakafa Cup, which is basically a sub-region in Africa, Central and Eastern African teams. They've won that three times. It's been almost a decade since they last hoisted that trophy. In terms of the Champions League, the best that they have ever done is the semifinals, and that was in 2015. Last year, they got as far as this, the group stage, but did not advance further. They got to the group stage by playing in the second of the two qualifying rounds and beating Al-Ali Tripoli out of Libya, Barely. 3-3 three to three was the home and away aggregate, but they won on the away goals tiebreaker. They are seated second to last here in this group stage. Uh, the Sudanese Premier League, by the way, is ranked number eight in all of Africa. This team qualified by finishing as the runners-up in that league last year. 
this year about they're about halfway through that league season. And I love looking at current league seasons rather than the shorter term results from the events to determine what a team is like and what kind of form they're in. First of all, I'll tell you that they are two points behind rival Al-Hilal Obdurman, which is the same team that won that league last year. They are a distant second place in scoring, getting a little over one and a half per match. Number one defense, though, giving up less than a goal every other match. Team's current form, well, they just got beaten here in the group stage by a very good team from Tunisia, ES Tunis. Uh, Before that, they had been unbeaten almost since the start of the league season and had won four straight matches. And now Zamalek, they are known as the White Knight or the White Castle. You often see those two things doubled up, I feel like, in African and specifically in Egyptian football. You'll see a lot of knights, devils, and castles, usually two out of those three. They play in the city of Giza, which has a population of about 9 million. Uh, The Premier League, by the way, in that country is ranked second best in all of Africa. So even on the road, these are probably your favorites. They have won the Champions League title five different times, but it's been 20 years since the last one. Uh, They did win the Confederation Cup in 2018-19. Basically, there are three really good teams in Egypt that separate themselves from the rest of the pack. And two of those three will always get to go to the Champions League. And one will uh, slip down to the Confederations Cup and usually kick some butt down there. Last year, they finished a distant third in the Champions League group stage, didn't get to advance. Uh, the team, just to give you a little perspective, Marek, they're rated number 15 or second to last. Zamalek is rated number six here in the group stage, according to the overall African seedings. They qualified by being the league leaders in the Egyptian Premier League after 24 rounds last year. They didn't wait all the way to the end of the league season just because of how uh, things were scheduled. They didn't have a chance to finish the season before they needed to determine who they were sending. But they did end up actually winning the league outright as well by six points over Pyramids FC. They advanced to the group stage from the second qualifying round over Flambeau de Center, 6-1 to one on aggregate. Uh, in the 2022-23 current league season, they're only in fourth place. I think that that would still put them in the correct in the Confederations Cup. And even if they win the Champions League, I don't believe that that gets you a berth into next year's event. In league play, they've got the number one offense going at a little over one and a half. Uh, tied for fifth best in defense. The Egyptian is not a high-scoring Premier League this year. They're giving up less than a goal Uh, on average per match, and yet really only in the top third of the league or so. They've got tied for the third best overall goal differential, so they are who they are. If Marek had to face an Egyptian team, really, this is the one they wanted. Key players, tied for number one in league scoring with eight is the singularly named Zizou, I believe, from Brazil, but I can tell you for sure that he plays midfield. Actually, he may be from right there in Egypt, which is why I didn't make a country note. He is also number one in assists in the league with eight. Uh, European footy fans might be familiar with him as he played for uh, a Portuguese sort of also ran team, but nevertheless, a top six or seven league in Europe, Moirense, before he was here. And they've got the second best goalkeeper in the league in terms of clean sheets with eight is Mohamed Awad. Team's current form, they just snapped a two-match losing streak. Uh, one to three at number 12, Smuha, one of those names I really like. And by the way, the one loss that they had uh, was at home in the Champions League versus C.R. Belouizdad, which is also in the Champions League out of Algeria. Match number B. Number two, bathroom talk, and we will have none of it. 
Join us in our revolution. Replace that phrase in your lives with number B. Listen to it in action right now. See what you think. Saturday, match number B, we head into Women's World Cup territory. It is time for the Inter-Confederation Playoffs. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful. If you're not familiar, they had the same thing, by the way, for the men's event. Basically, some of your quote-unquote also-rans that almost but didn't quite make it to the World Cup proper already, they will be playing each other against teams from other continents to determine who's going to get uh, the last couple of slots in the Women's World Cup. There are 10 teams participating in this particular round, the Intercon Fed playoffs. There are going to be two brackets of three and one bracket of four, and only the winners are going to get to advance to the World Cup. So we've got three berths on the line. All of this is going to get played in New Zealand. The matchup we're going to look at in part because this keeps us uh, close to home, a team we're going to care about some here, at least if you're stateside. Senegal versus Haiti. Yeah, they're one of the big three teams from the Caribbean subregion of CONCACAF. Uh, the winners are going to get to play Chile. They're in one of the uh, three team brackets, and Chile gets the bye. Senegal, they are known as the Gazelles, but interestingly, they have a lion on their crest. Be not confused. After all, we're replacing number two with number B. How much stranger can it get? Their FIFA rank is number 84. Within the African Confederation, they are considered the 12th best women's team. They've never qualified for the World Cup proper. Uh, 2022 Women's AFCON, which is their continental championships, they made the quarterfinal. The only other appearance they ever made even in that event was in 2012. Now, in Western Africa, there are so many teams and they're all really good that they divide into multiple zones. And I can tell you that in 2020, the last iteration of this particular event, they won the Wafu, also fun to say, Zone A Cup. In terms of qualifying for the World Cup straight out of Africa's main event for that, they lost in the qualifiers at the quarterfinal level. But then they went into a round that I'm going to mispronounce. I believe it's called the Repage if it's in France. Uh, they beat Tunisia nil-nil, 4-2 on penalty kicks. And by beating one of the other qualifying losers, that put them in a spot here in the Intercon Fed playoff round. Key player to look for. It's hard to find too much, at least quickly, on some of these particular teams. But I can tell you that they are captained by a woman named Corka Fall. She plays forward for them, as well as for Senegalese club Dorades Mbour. Uh, she played for Zargoza over in Spain, and that's no other because she was the first African woman to ever play in the Spanish top flight. Although I don't think Zargoza is in the top flight right now. Team's current form, they've won all five matches that they have played internationally this year, and uh, they are currently in the Wafu Zone A Women's Cup, as, or rather, all five of those wins were in the Wafu Zone A Women's Cup, I should say. And now, the team that uh, here in the Western Hemisphere we will probably be rooting for, at least we will here on Team Noob, Haiti. They are known as... as Le Grenadier, which, you know, soldiers, grenade throwers, I believe that's where it comes from. They are ranked number 55 by FIFA Worldwide and number six in CONCACAF. Again, they're part of the big three in the Caribbean subregion, along with Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica. I think they're sort of, if not a distant third, they are the third best of those three teams, at least currently. They too, just like Senegal, have never been to the World Cup. They finished in fourth place, best they've ever done in the 1994 CONCACAF Women's Championship. The most recent iteration last year, they uh, made just as far as the group stage. 
And they only actually even qualify for that event about every other iteration. They made the uh, Women's World Cup CONCACAF qualifiers final eight, essentially a group stage. And then they finished in third place. The top two from their group got to advance by not finishing in last. They get to play in this particular qualifier. They are captained by Nebrila Mondesir. She plays forward for them and plays for the French club team of Montpellier. Not one of the best ones over there, but that's one of the best leagues in the entire world. And she's got 12 national team caps for them since 2014. And I won't go through the, uh, take the time to mention them all, but I will mention that they've got three players who are with U.S. colleges and universities. Teams current formal, they went 1-0-2 in the Women's World Cup CONCACAF qualifying group stage. Match number three. Our Saturday run continues in Northern Ireland, where the top flight is called the NIFL Premiership. This is entirely a semi-professional league, so it's only ranked number 44 out of the 55 in UEFA. As such, only their champion will get to go to the Champions League, and they'll actually have to start all the way back in the first qualifying round, and then they'll send a couple of teams to the tertiary Europa Conference League as well. But your matchup is still a dandy and so important where it's being played. We leave no stone unturned. Number one, Larna versus number two, Cliftonville. A quick look at the table shows us that the two are tied at 59 on points. Linfield lurked just a few points back at 55. By the way, uh, Larna are currently listed in first instead of second because they lead Cliftonville by 13 on goal differential. And it's worth noting that they have a match in hand against both Cliftonville and Linfield. So advantage to the Larnians. And in fact, they had the advantage when they played earlier this season in Cliftonville. They won 0-4, I believe. The series between the two recently has actually mostly gone Cliftonville's way. They've accrued a 6-4-4 and record. And that's all you're going to get out of me for this particular one, because while we think it's important to learn all we can about so many of these teams, it's also important to make a little money to help us cheat at that. Let's see if we can get a drug-aided or drug-addled vision, depending on how you want to interpret it, from our 3,500-year-old prognosticator, Noob Stradamus. Take it away, almighty soothsayer. Greetings from Antrim Plateau. I sit atop this ancient volcanic formation in awe of the glaciated sweeping valleys below and then Lani off a distance. Here I have almost no need of inhaling smoke of the lotus leaf to touch the universal infinite. <laughs> but why take chances? <sighs> Once again, I travel through space and time. <whistles> Darkness descends on my mind. An eternity, a mere moment, passes. I awaken just the same place, but I espy myself 2,300 years younger. Beside me, translucent in appearance, yet completely present in spirit, is the ancient princess of Ireland, the forgotten child, Lothar. Those who know the history of this place know the Labor Gabala Eren, the Book of Invasions. 
Her father was mighty king Ugain Mor. It has been said he ruled all of the British Isle and even Europe. <laughs> With what time? The man had twenty-six children. Reading that thought, Lothar peers at me through emerald green eyes of sadness. Her name is not recorded in the Book of Invasions, but she tells me in an ethereal voice it is not the omission that grieves her, but rather her family's tale of blood. Her uncle, Bogdachad, murdered her father for the throne of Eirir. More blood. He only ruled one day and a half, murdered in turn by nephew Lorger Lork. He was succeeded by brother Kobthok Kobreg, and so on. By the time of Christ, not but history remained of the family's rule. Except for Lothar. For her is named Lani. She too had been quietly granted land between the rivers Glenan and Inver. Perhaps it was to spare her from inclusion in the ugly history that would overtake the family that she was not written in. Her legacy would not be in letters, but in the lovely Lanians themselves. Reading this thought, too, she smiles peacefully, then fading, as does the light of my vision. I awake. Soccer score in mind for you, and more. The 26th child's appearance means Lani will lose this day. Two to six. But Lani will still win the league. I have seen. And I have spoken. Match number four! Not the most unrealistic score he's ever given us, even if he rarely, if ever, is right, and we don't truly anticipate that he will be this time either. That would be quite a shootout for those two particular teams. But nevertheless, I feel like we learned a little bit about the mytho-history of Northern Ireland. Interesting. And now we move just a little bit to the south and east, continental Europe, specifically the Eredivisie of the Netherlands, the top flight there is ranked number six in all of Europe. They will send one team to the group stage proper of the Champions League. Another one will start just one round back, the third qualifying round, and then, of course, a couple of teams to the Europa Conference League. Still sitting atop the league is number one, Feyenoord. They are playing host to upstart AZ Alkmaar. They're historically probably the best team that's not a part of the big three. So a modestly distant fourth, but here they are competing for the title, this particular go round. The table shows that Feyenoord still have a two point lead over them at 44. Ajax, they're finally starting to climb a little bit, 43. And PSV, those last two are part of the big three with Feyenoord at 42. AZ have their work cut out for them. It would behoove them to get a point on the road, even as difficult as a draw would be to get. Feyenoord have largely owned them in recent seasons. They've got a 14-4-8 record against them. And when they played at AZ earlier this season, uh, Feyenoord won 1-3. You can witness this particular iteration, 3 o'clock Eastern time in the afternoon on ESPN Plus, as we like to call it, the Plocho. Feyenoord, we have visited them somewhat recently, but nevertheless, we shall do it again. Reminders are good. They play out of the city of Rotterdam, and they're actually one of three Division I clubs that play in that overall city. 
They've won the league title 15 times. It's actually been six years since they won the last one. A little bit of a surprise for us. They won what is now the Europa League two different times, most recently just before it actually started being called the Europa League, 2001-2002. And they were the European champions of what is now the Champions League way back in 1969-70. This year, they're participating in Europe's secondary international club tournament, the Europa League, about to play in the round of 16. In league play, last year they finished in third place. This year, this is a high-scoring league, at least at the top. They get two and a quarter goals per match, but that is only third best. Their defense, they are equally well-balanced, giving up just under a goal per game on average. That is good for third place as well. Uh, See, key players to look for Top 10 scorer in the league with eight is Danilo, Brazilian center forward, just 23 years old. I've seen strong rumors linking him with Arsenal and Real Madrid. A big money move is coming soon. Also in the top 10 for scoring, same number of goals from Turkey is Orkan Kokshu, central midfielder, another youngster, 22 years old. Although you won't get to see him in this particular match, he is suspended because of a red card that he received in a previous match. One other player I want to point out, we like to look for these every so often, just because they're guys that maybe not every podcast is talking about, and especially since you can watch for him on TV. Number one in the league in interceptions is Marco Lopez. He is Peruvian left back, another youngster, 23 years old. And yes, MLS fans, it's the same guy who is with San Jose, the earthquakes, basically in his late teens before coming over here. Team's current form. Well, they just got their first win, at least in 90 minutes, within their last four matches at number eight here in Veen. They won one to two, and yet they are unbeaten in their last 10 matches across all competitions. And now AZ Alkmaar. Uh, Alkmaar is a a city in the northeast part of the country, about 100,000 people. Uh, They are famous for a big traditional cheese market, yummy, yummy. It's a very touristy area in general. By the way, the AZ stands for Alkmaar or Zahn. I have a feeling that very few people call them AZ Alkmaar. It's probably always one or the other, even if it's listed here on our side of the pond by uh, the fuller nomenclature. This is an area that is particularly known, even as such things are measured in the Netherlands, for its many windmills. And also historically, this is considered to be one of the first industrialized places in the entire world. In UEFA, they are ranked number 66 amongst all clubs. They have won the league title here twice. Last time was 2008-2009. And they are the only club, I believe, that has won a title outside of the big three that I previously mentioned. And they managed that back in the 1980s once. And then, in fact, in 1980-81, they finished in second place in what is now the Europa League. To give you a little bit of an idea what's more of their speed, they tend to go to the Europa League, if anywhere. Uh, a couple of times in the last decade, they've got as far as the quarterfinals. They're about to play in the Europa Conference League round of 16. We don't know who their opponent will be yet, though. Last year in domestic league play, they finished in fifth, fifth place. This year, the offensive is good, if not overwhelming, for a team that's vying for the title. Number four in that regard, getting just over two goals per match. They only give up a little bit over one goal per match. That puts them in seventh place in defense. But really, with this league, you're talking about a lot of teams that are very close together uh, as far as the ordinal rankings on defense. They're only in fifth place as far as overall goal differential. I don't think AZ are going to be able to hold off PSV, quite frankly, nor will they hold off IX, but 
That is why they play the games. And also, you have to consider the fact that I'm a noob. Tied for second best in league scoring with 10 on the year is Evangelos Pavlidis from Greece. He is their striker who has previously spent time with Borussia Dortmund. He's also a 27 national team uh, caps back home since 2019 plus. And then another sort of interesting, the best at what he does player, I want to point out, I don't have a good name for it yet. Number one in possessions, one in the final third. So the offensive third, if the defense has the ball, this is a guy who is great at stealing it away and therefore getting to set up big chances. Um, 3.1 times per match, he does that on average. And then his best of the league, his name is Michael, but boy, the spelling is interesting. M-A-Y-C-K-E-L, Lado from Sweden, 20-year-old right winger. Uh, He's also got a goal and an assist on the season. Team's current form, they are 1-1-1 in their last three. And worth noting that that loss was not in league play, but in their FA Cup. Match number five. All right, let's rack up some frequent flyer miles. Maybe we'll even get two little bags of peanuts for this excursion as we are headed off to the OFC Champions League. That is the Football Confederation of Oceania, which has 11 different league associations. Australia used to be in it. Right now, the largest one is New Zealand. I suspect that they will defect, for lack of a better word, over into the Asian Association as well once they decide to go fully professional, maybe even before. So here's how things work for the Champions League. Seven developed countries' associations, as they term it there, they get a berth into the Champions League from each of them. From those seven countries, the top two from their domestic league, they're all going to play in a playoff to see who actually gets to go to the Champions League proper. The other four countries' associations, the smaller countries or less soccer-developed ones, between them, they only get one berth. So they're all playing each other, the champions from each of their domestic leagues here in this qualifying stage. And they're all playing in the country of Samoa, so they're playing a single round robin to see who comes out on top. The match that we're going to look at is Ileoa and Toomata, and that is all one club, versus Lupe Ole Sawaga. Uh, let's refer to them as IAT, the team uh, that is playing out of American Samoa and listed as your home team that play out of the capital city of Pago Pago. They were the 2022 FFAS League Champions. They went undefeated, and congratulations to them. It was their first ever titles. Now, effectively, they've got a one-in-four chance of making the actual Champions League proper. They won their league by six points over a team called Pago Youth. They did it largely on the backs of their defense. They were only giving up a little bit more than a goal every other match on average. Not that their offense was too shabby. Second best in that regard, they were getting over four goals per outing. Second best overall goal differential. The number one league scorer by almost twice as many as anybody else. He had 31 was a homegrown product. I suspect they're all homegrown products. They're Tino Vaifale. And now Lupe Ole Sawaga. Uh, They actually play out of American Samoa, specifically out of the city of Tuanimato, which is a geographic area more than a municipality. It's in the west part of the capital city of Apia. Now, they are a historical powerhouse there. They've won seven titles in the league, all since 2012, 2013, when they first joined the top flight, or at least most recently joined the top flight. 2020, let me try that again, in 2020, <laughs> years have 
four digits, not six, calendar noob. They won an OFC group stage match in the Champions League, and they were the first ever team that came out of this qualifying event to do so. Last year, by the way, in, in case you're not familiar with this event, don't feel too bad. They didn't even have it due to travel ex- restrictions related to COVID. Uh, the team from the Cook Islands that won their domestic league for some reason or other was the one that got selected uh, to represent the four developing nations as they were in the OFC, and they didn't do anything once they got there. Uh, they qualified as the number three out of the 2022 Samoa National League. So I'm not quite sure why they get to come here ahead of the top two teams, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. Could be financial or other reasons. Not Mew, it's Noob. Noob. Say it with me, kitties. Okay, fine, have it your way. I'll tell you what, instead, we shall give you what you crave every single week, which is a recap of last week's matches. Last week, Friday, match number one was from Australia's A-League women. Number one, Western United versus number B, Melbourne City. Western United won 2-1. to one. Their star, Hannah Keane from the U.S., had the opening goal. No change in the table there. Saturday, match number B from Liga MX, UANLT Grace took on UNAM Pumas. They were rated number three and number five in the table, respectively. And it was the home side getting a 4-2 win. For T-Grace, Lewis Quinones had an assist. Uh, for Pumas, Juan Deneno had a goal. Two of the key players we said to look for. T-Grace moved all the way up to second place. And Pumas dropped all the way down to 10. It's fairly early in the stage there, so that's not too surprising. Match number three from Germany's Bundesliga. Number four, Red Bull Leipzig took on number B, Union Berlin. It was the Union getting a 1-2 key road win. Uh, that dropped Leipzig, by the way, all the way down to number five. Uh, match number four from FIFA's Club World Cup, the final, Real Madrid versus Al Hilal. It was a shootout, if not quite as uh, big and bad as Nutsurdamas said it was B. Uh, he called it at 7-0. In fact, Real Madrid won 5-3 and moderately late in the game. All, um, Al Hilal was pretty close to having a fourth goal. Match number five from the Champions League in Africa, Hoya, Ver- Hoya rather versus Simba. The home side got a 1-0 win there at the start of the group stage. Match number six from the microstate of San Marino, the Campeonato number one Cosmos took on number B, La Florita. They played to a 1-1 draw. Monday, match number seven from the FA Cup in Scotland. It was our minnow watching for the round of 16. All the way down in the sixth tier, it was amateur side Darvell playing Falkirk from the second tier, and it was the championship side Falkirk that got the 1-5 big win. So the dream dream run ends for Darvell. For Falkirk, key player that we said to look for, Callum Morrison, had both a goal and an assist. Tuesday from the Copa Libertadores qualifying uh, round first stage, second leg of the home and away two-legged tie. Nacional played Sport Juan Cayo, and Nacional got the 3-1 win, and that was just enough to advance them to the next qualifying stages. They won 4-3 on aggregate. Wednesday, match number nine from the Premier League in England, number one Arsenal, number B, Man City. It was Man City taking over first place in the league, although Arsenal still have a match in hand. They got a 1-3 win and switched table positions. And then finally, it was match number 10 being the final for the Copa Catalunya, or Catalonia as we would say here, FC Andorra took on Badalona in Badalona, and it was Andorra getting the 1-0 win. Congratulations to the La Liga 2 team on their trophy. Key man that we said to look for, Sana 
Hassan Bacchus had a goal, and it was in the 92nd minute. High drama. And now your three bonus match recap with explanations on these coming later. Friday, the route of the week was from the Cypriot First Division. Number one, Ayak Larnica took on number 14, Akredas Klorakas. They're in Cyprus. They played to a 1-1 draw. No change in the table there, so not so much of a route after all. The most meaningless match in the world. Two teams smack dab in the middle of the table came from the Hong Kong Premier League. Number six, BC Rangers took on number five, Eastern. They played appropriately to a 2-2 draw. No change at the table there either. And then finally, two sad sacks from the bottom of the table. The match was disappointed. Yet another Saturday match. Different continent, though. The Premier League in Zambia was the place. For number 17, and Quasi, they played host to number 18, Buildcon. And Quasi got the unsurprising 2-0 win. And Quasi are not good. Buildcon are absolutely awful. No change in the table there. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Let's get back into previewing the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. We flip the calendar page to Sunday for match number six. More Champions League action. This time we're going to Asia. The AFC Champions League has reached its round of 16 in the western part of the bracket. The west and east stay very much separate all the way till the final. And in fact, in the east half of the bracket, congratulations to Urawa Red Diamonds, although I guess we could congratulate them weeks, if not maybe at least a couple months ago. The eastern side of this bracket has been long since done. The Champions League is quirky. I think that the Asians, they are going to be moving it in the calendar to make everything make a little more sense starting next year. This is all being played in Qatar, by the way, so there will be no home and away two-legged ties. They'll just be playing a single match to see who advances from this round. The match that looked most intriguing to us and that we encourage you to follow is Al-Shabaab out of Saudi Arabia versus Nasaf Karshi out of Uzbekistan. But nevertheless, because it's only the round of 16 and we'll be getting to cover this event quite a bit should we choose to in the upcoming weeks and months, this is where we're going to take a break and I'm going to turn things largely over to my daughter because she has a soft spot in her heart for cute little animals. Let's see what she's got in store for us in her segment. Theme song time. Aminals, aminals. Animals from around the world of animals that might be endangered or might have used to be endangered and aren't now. Our theme song needs work, doesn't it? No, it does. It's perfect. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, we are here to have you tell us about some endangered or a threatened animal in some fashion from whatever area in the world we're talking about, as we've been doing for several weeks now. We are in Saudi Arabia this time. We're talking about a team from Saudi Arabia, at least. And so what threatened or endangered animal are you going to tell us about today? The Arabian Oryx. Yes. And how do you spell Oryx? O-R-Y-X. Yeah, we, we, we don't want to make it sound like we're talking about Arabian orcs, like orcs and dwarves and elves, but oryx. And basically, I will start out by telling folks that an oryx is a bovid, which essentially means that it is an antelope. It's a little bit different than antelopes, I think, than we might be used to seeing here in North America. We'll get into a description in a little bit. What can you tell us about their status and kind of where they uh, have been found in the past and where they're not found now? Uh, they used to be all over uh, Arabia. And by 100 years ago, they were mostly just in Saudi Arabia. 
Uh, and they were extinct in the wild by 1972. Yeah, but so was that the end of them, or is there good news? Nope. Um, the yet ended up first ever animal moved from the from extinct in the wild back to back to vulnerable status as of a few years ago. Over 120 in the wild and five times that in captivity. Oh, I think we missed a zero in your notes. They're doing even better than that. There's over 1,200 of them in the wild, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's pretty good. So they went from extinct in the wild, past like uh, endangered, and all the way back to vulnerable, which is still not all-time great, but that's a lot better than it was. All right, what can you tell us about what they generally look like? Uh, they're over three feet tall, and they're almost glowing white. The undersides and legs are brown. There are black stripes. There are black stripes around the head and the neck. Um, long, straight, and slightly curved horns, about two and a half feet long. Holy cow! Those are some long horns. I wonder what they would sound like in a band. Not that kind of horn. Mm-hmm. That that joke wasn't even funny in my head. I won't lie or I won't okay. pretend. All right, what else can you tell us about them? Like, how long do they live and what threatens them? Uh, their natural lifespan is 20 years. Uh, and the only predators, predators really, are wolves and human hunters. Um, and also, in the desert, they like gravel or hard sand, so they can use their speed to escape the wolves. Ah, see, you won't see them climbing through soft sand dunes because they know they can be caught, can't they? Yeah. All right. Do they eat the peoples? No, they're they're actually herbivores, and they can go seven weeks without water. Wow, that's incredible. How do they do that? Uh, well, one they can detect uh, detect rainfall, uh, and the range can be at twelve hundred square miles. Holy cow! So that's like a superpower. They're detecting rainfall from way, way far off, aren't they? Yeah. Because that's like twelve hundred square miles. That's like you know, 300 or 400 miles on each side, if I remember my geometry of like a, a rectangle, for example. So, yeah, that's really like a superpower, isn't it? And then uh, how else do they manage to go without water? Uh, they survive the desert summer by being completely inactive during the day. Uh, and they're in shade. Uh, their bodies will let temperature will let the temperature naturally rise instead of getting rid of fluid to stay even cooler. Ah, so they let themselves heat up by not sweating or doing other things that we won't talk about to get rid of fluid. Mm-hmm. And then, but then that helps them in turn save their water so that they don't have to, because desert doesn't have a lot of water, does it? Not all no. the time anyway. All right. How many of them can we find at a time? Uh, the herds tend to be two to five. I mean, two to 15. Um, But there can be over a hundred. Um, they stay together in a long, uh, for a long time because they generally don't fight each other. Uh, and instead of fighting to determine hierarchy of important males, they pose. So to determine who is the best and the second and the third best uh, males, instead of fighting like a land of animals do, they, they do posturing displays. Yeah. They pose. They're like Vogue, like Madonna. That's probably not. Oh, that is a reference you get. You went right into that. You know what? This might be a great time for. We can, We know how to make posturing displays, don't we? Yeah. What time is it? It's time for a dance, dance break. break. Oh, wow. You do just like, I was going to say you look like, just like Madonna doing your voguing, but uh, I don't want, you'll, you'll never own any of Madonna 
clothes or anything like that if I ever anything to do it. Uh, oh, I think I tweaked my back doing that last pose, but I'm still dancing. All right, dance break over. Aw. That was great. Yeah. All right. Anything else that's really cool or interesting about the uh, about this particular animal? Um, there's a biblical myth, uh, myth about unicorns. There's actually a pretty good chance it comes from um these animals, uh, uh that have lost a horn. They're- oh, oh! If they lose a horn from like fighting or something else, it doesn't grow back. No. Oh, so it looks like a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Um, or just being seen sideways because you can't see the other horn. Oh, depending on what angle you're looking at it. That's pretty cool. All right, we've got a USA connection in terms of uh, how they have been saved, don't we? Mm-hmm. In 1962, Phoenix Zoo was the first to have them in captivity. Just nine. They've had 240 births since then. Wow. And I know, I can't remember the name of it, by the way, I helped with the notes, but there was also, I want to give, uh, try to give credit where it's due is the Phoenix Zoo. And there was a a London based uh, uh, conserving agency, a nature agency that also helped procure those and get them over there that played an equal part. So I am so glad to hear that the Oryxes are doing better than they once did. And those horns, boy, I hope they're not born with those horns. Otherwise, that'd be really hard for the mommies to give birth, wouldn't it? Uh, that would not be good. No, I wouldn't think so. I doubt that's the case, though. So thank you so much. Even though we've had good news instead of bad news, we're happy to do it. Thank you for telling us all about Arabian Oryxes here on Endangered Aminals. Oh, yeah. Aminals from around the world globe place. Oh, yeah. Match number seven. More continent hopping for your weekend. We had a League One of France, which is the fifth ranked association on the continent. As such, they get two teams into the Champions League proper, the group stage. Another one just behind into the third qualifying round. Another to the Europa League group stage and one more to the Europa Conference League. Lots of berths in play for all the best leagues. Number one, PSG. Yeah, they're Champions League bound, probably winning the title for the billionth time in a row. It's been fun to watch them play all the uh, the rotating teams that have been taking over the number B position in the league table. But this time we're going to look at them playing a host to number five, Lille. This is a match that PSG should win at the very least, get a point out of at home. Lille are not going to be competing for the title, but that is not to say that they could not get into the Champions League by any stretch. Let's look at the table. PSG have a five-point lead over Marseille. Then you have Monaco, two more back. Lens at 46. Lille are five points back of Lens for that last qualifying spot into the Champions League. And then you've even got Rand to worry about. They are one more point back at 40. PSG, as you would expect, have dominated the series as they do well, with everyone that they play domestically, 1975 in recent years, and they absolutely dropped the hammer earlier this year when they played at Lille. They are not welcome back. They won one to seven. Set your alarm for 7 a.m. if you've got BN Sports or just if you want to get up and get some exercise. I don't know. It's going to be on BN Sports and BN Sports en Espanol. Uh, PSG, let's talk about them first, but I don't want to so much give them any previews since we've done that so many times with PSG, you probably know about them, uh, but I want to kind of talk a little about a very, uh, let you in on a very underreported uh, ongoing 
story, if you will. Uh, PSG, everybody knows that it stands for Paris uh, Saint-Germain, but it also stands for Parti Socialiste Guyanes. Since that party's founding in 1956, they have been advocating for their namesake club, PSG, to relocate for at least part of every season, play some home matches in French Guiana, which is one of the... uh, it's a French overseas territory, and it's actually part, just in case you're not familiar geographically, it's part of mainland South America. There's three countries that are that don't participate in Conmebol. They're much smarter. They don't tend to be uh, Portuguese or Latin in nature in general. They've got a lot more in common culturally, say, with the Caribbean, and they've got connections to places like the Netherlands and, in this case, France. Now, that party, I do not want you to confuse that with the one I'm sure you know, which is the Departmental or Continental French Socialist Party. Their platforms are somewhat similar, yet somewhat different. Uh, The PSG in French Guiana, uh, they're much more in line with things in the Green Party platform than their counterparts in the French mainland. Uh, This is a... I don't anticipate this happening anytime soon, but one never knows. I I think they're losing some of their cachet, even domestically. In 2010, the party actually dropped from 17 out of 31 uh, possible seats to just holding one little tiny seat in the country's general council. The only place that they really have any power anymore, in fact, is on the more local level in the Cayenne municipality. Nevertheless, they're fighting hard uh, still to this day pushing the PR to try to get PSG, PSG to play a handful of their games down there. Uh, the last mayor that they had, by the way, 2010 through 22, Marie Laure Finera Hort. She's got uh, hyphenated first and last names. Uh, she got excluded from the party, but then she ran and got elected uh, as uh, under the uh, umbrella of something they just called the miscellaneous left. And then in 2014, she got to rejoin with the PSG party down there. I'm not even sure who the current mayor is right now. I believe it just changed. But uh, the fact that she lost power tells me she either oversold or undersold on this whole platform idea of getting PSG to play some friendlies or even league matches down there in South America. So now you know, and I have a feeling that we are the only podcast you're going to listen to that is reporting on that one. I have no idea why. And now Lille, a team we talk a little bit less about. No politics here. They're happy to play all their matches right there in the far north of France, where the city of the same name is located. It is the fourth biggest city in the country, by the way, about 250,000. It's a, a mechanical industrial area, a lot of food industry as well. Throw it all together. This is unfortunately an area that is really famous or infamous for its air pollution. Footy-wise, they are known as the Mastiffs. I love someone unique mascots like that. Don't like the air pollution? Do you like Mastiffs? They won the league title four different times. And I said PSG had won it a million times in a row. There was a slight break in there. Leo won it in 2018-19. In the 2021-22 Champions League last year, they made the round of 16. That is tied for the best that they have ever done. Last year in the league, they must have been saving up for this year because they only finished in 10th place. Uh, This year, they're more likely to slide down than back up, at least looking at their metrics. Uh, The defense, they give up a little bit over one goal per match. That sounds pretty good, but in terms of this league, that's only number eight. And it's not like they're overwhelming people on offense. They're in the top five, getting one and three quarters goals per match. 
Overall, the goal differential is number six. I think that they're going to be lucky to get any international berth. The Europa Conference League is probably still their speed. Key player to look for, tied for second best in league scoring with 14, is Canadian product Jonathan David, 23-year-old striker, Brooklyn-born actually, giving the trouble that the USMNT has on the striker level. One wonders if there was ever a push to try to get him to represent the U.S. He's been linked with a possible move uh, to Manchester United, but then again, the budget that team has, uh, I think maybe I'm even linked with the move to Manchester United, although it'd probably be Waterboy or Towel Manager or something. Another key player to look for, tied for number one in winning position in the final third. Yeah, it's our second time doing that one, one and a half times per match. Eden Zagrova from Kosovo, right winger, 23 years old. He's also got a goal and two assists on the air. 25 national team appearances back home since 2017. I've seen some rumors linking him possibly with Arsenal, but I'm really not sure how credible they are there. Uh, and the money amount I was seeing, by the way, was 6 million, which would really be a boon for any team probably in Kosovo. But their best overall player, in my opinion, is Remy Cabela. Uh, homegrown attacking midfielder with four goals and six assists on the year. He's a really good passer and almost an 80% shooter uh, as far as his accuracy. And uh, he gets about two-thirds of an interception per match on average. Just an all-around amazing player in the center of the field. And we do have a USA connection as well in Tim Way, a 22-year-old forward who came up with PSG, actually. Uh, he should be familiar to USMNT fans. He's made 30 national team appearances since his teen years, 2018 onward. Team's current form, they are 2-2-0 in their last four across all competitions. Match number eight. Let's finish off our weekend with a little minnow watching. That means we're headed somewhere in the world for another FA Cup. Minnow, what does that refer to in case you're new? Well, at least where I think it got its start in England as a term means that you're following some team from way down the football pyramid, not within the top tier or two, trying to make a deep run in the knockout bracketed FA Cup. Now, we're headed someplace in Asia where it's an even bigger deal in a way than in Europe, because in Europe, the winners of the FA Cups, they all go to either the Europa League or the Europa Conference League, not the Champions League, but that is not the case in Asia. In Asia, all the domestic FA Cup winners do, in fact, get Champions League berths. And we're going to take a look at a match from the Hasfi Cup. This is Iran's version of an FA Cup. It has reached its fifth round or round of 16. Overall, in the event, all the teams from the top three divisions have been playing, plus a slug of them from the provincial leagues, although they've all lost. What we are left with is one single little minnow left to watch from the third tier named Navad Ermia. And they, by virtue of random draw, get to play host of the team they got matched with, Persian Gulf Pro League, a.k.a. the top flight in Iran, Paykan, or Paykan, P-A-Y-K-A-N. Since they're hosting, let's talk about Nevada Ermia first. Ermia is the name of the city from uh, which they come. It is in the far northwest of the country, right on the Turkish border. It's only the 10th biggest city in the country, has maybe 700,000 people. In fact, the majority of them aren't even citizens of Iran. They're actually Azerbaijanis who have come there for work. In fact, even the name of the province is West Azerbaijan. This is a big trading center for a lot of locally grown commodities agriculturally, uh, apple, grapes, tobacco, at least those are the big three. And this is a pretty big sporting area in Iran, just doesn't happen to be for football necessarily. 
This area is called the volleyball capital of the country. This is a club that was founded in 2011, so pretty young, and uh, maybe given a few more years, they'll be able to clear up this bit of confusion for me. Uh, Navad means 90. Yeah, the number, Navad Ermia Football Club. But the nickname of the club is the 100. 90, 100, Iranian third-tier football clubs, I live my life confused. I don't need your help getting any more, so thank you very much. All right, got that out of the way. They entered in the second qualifying round. In the last round, the fourth one, they beat a team called Besat Kermanshaw from their league, 6-7 to seven on penalty kicks after playing to a 1-1 draw in the first 90-plus minutes. They're having just an okay-ish season. They're currently in sixth place in their league group. Their full league is actually broken into two groups of memory serves. I want to say 14 teams. They've only got the 11th best offense going in their group, getting three quarters of a goal per match on average. The defense is a little bit closer to average. Overall, the goal differential, they're tied for number six. So it's not like they're looking to get promoted or anything, but wow, they are having a whale of a run in the FA Cup tournament. Who knows? This may be the only time we ever hear anything about this club. And just think, you will be the one amongst your footy-minded friends to know anything about them. Now, just a little bit about Pekan, even though it is uh, Ermia that we were more interested in as Minnows, they had to enter just in the last round, and they defeated a Division II team that I think was in the top flight last year, Estaglal Kuzestan, beat them 1-0 at home. Two-thirds of the way through the season, they're all the way down in 12th place in the Persian Gulf Pro League. They've got the worst offense going, not even getting a goal every other match on average. But thats uh, I don't think they're really trying to score that much. They've got a top-seven defense, giving up well under one goal per match on average. They've got, I believe, the second-worst goal differential in the entire league. This is a team that likes to play small ball or park the bus, as they say in football circles. So they won't be really exciting to watch. Hopefully, if Ermia can pull the upset, they will continue to be, though. Match number nine. That wraps up the weekend, and bonus match possibilities aside, you get a nice, long midweek break, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. None of the great matches were quite great or shiny enough to make our final cut here for the main 10. On Thursday, we rejoin UEFA's Europa League, the secondary international club tournament in Europe. They have reached their round of 16. A quick reminder for newer fans, this event is an extra big deal, even as a secondary tournament, because the winner gets an automatic berth into the Champions League next season. Now, heading into League One, when I first started scouting and writing things up, the most intriguing-looking matchup to me was Monaco out of France's League One versus Bayer Leverkusen out of the Bundesliga in Germany. Leg One was completed last Thursday, and it was Monaco getting the road win 2-3. to three. But that's all you're going to get out of me for this particular match because this is the time of show where Noob's tummy starts to get a little rumbly. This is where we take our culture break most every week. And by culture break, we typically mean food. And so we are going to learn about a super cool recipe from the south of France, where the country of Monaco, the microstate, is located. And what we are going to look at is called a 
uh, Provencal bouillabaisse, and it is going to be delightful. A bouillabaisse is basically a fish stew. Now, we looked at a very different one a few weeks ago when we covered Lille. I know we had them this episode, but I'm referring to a different time. And we had a very uh, tasty, hearty fish stew, if you will. Let's see how it compares to a traditional southern French or French Mediterranean or French Riviera bouillabaisse. Now, there are a ton of different fishes that you can use for this. Based on the handful of recipes that I looked at, the most common fishes seem to be, and it's always a a combination, a conger eel, which is very firm in texture and sort of has a pork flavor, halibut, which is a little bit on the fishy side, but it's very sweet and it's very mild. And the texture is such that it is going to not taste fishy by the time you get it cooked because it's going to take on a lot of the flavors, in particular from some of the spices and other flavors we're going to be adding in. And by the way, it's a a little bit firmer than cod, so you still, even though this is a southern one versus a northern one, you're still getting some of that hearty texture. I was a little bit surprised to discover that. And then finally, snapper. That is another delicate, mild white fish. Those are your three big ones I recommend using all three. And by the way, you don't even have to stick necessarily with fish. You can even throw shellfish in there, crab, lobster, mussels, clams, scallops, but the fish is going to be the main thing. Some of the ingredients you're going to need, uh, olive oil, yellow onions, sliced leeks. For the love of God, only use the white part. It wasn't really in all capitals. I just felt like being dramatic about it. You're going to want both fresh chopped tomatoes and drained canned tomatoes, mashed garlic, uh, parsley sprigs, bay leaf, thyme, or basil, probably not both, we don't want to go too strong, uh, fennel, saffron, dried orange peel, yeah, that's one of the things that's going to make a difference from the northern version, uh, pepper, you're going to make or have some fish stock on hand, or clam juice, if you're having a lot of crustaceans in there, you can definitely go that particular route. And then to go with this, make sure you get a nice baguette from your local grocery. Oh, and some parsley before I forget. Now, the how-to. The ingredients are really important. There's not going to be anything that should be too surprising about the how-to for this. You're going to use a standard uh, soup pot or a very large tureen. You're going to use medium heat with the oil. Get that heated up first. Then you'll start adding your first ingredients, which are going to be the onions and the leeks. You're only putting in enough oil to saute these. It should take about uh, five minutes to get them. You want to stop before they're really brown. So just do that for a couple of minutes. Then stir in all your tomatoes, your garlic, get about five more minutes. Now you're going to start to add in your water, all those herbs I mentioned, seasoning, clam juice if you decided to go that route. Bring the base to a boil. Skim it off, that stuff that you don't want, and then simmer. Don't be lazy about skimming. You're going to get a lot of things in there, just bits of the herbs that you don't want. Simmer that uncovered. This is going to be the longest part, probably 30 to 40 minutes. Then you're going to strain the soup, add your pepper, your parsley, whatever you want for that seasoning. Just before serving, this is when you're going to add in uh, your lobster or your crabs, and mostly, most importantly, your firm fleshed fish. Then you bring it quickly back to a boil, so high heat, uncovered, five more minutes. But you want to really make sure it's five minutes at the most, because overcooking is a real possibility, even with these firmer fishes. Then you're going to serve it immediately by lifting out the fish and arranging that on a platter. Taste the soup for your seasoning, 
put the bread right in the soup tureen and then get you know ladle that soup all over it. Get some of the fish on there, sprinkle in the parsley over the, both the fish and the soup. So you're going to be having that bread and the soup on the fish together. So don't serve the fish in a stew, put the fish on the platter and then ladle that soup and that soupy bread over it. And you will have a French Riviera Riviera Bouillabaisse delight. Clearly, I can't even speak because my mouth is watering just thinking about it. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! The management is usually kind enough to put the credits into the liner notes that you can find online, but I want to start uh, giving some credit as well. The music you were hearing in the background there uh, was a cover by Dave Monk of the original Jean-Francois Maurice song, La Ombre, parenthetically titled Monaco. Always try to make the music match up geographically with the recipe or whatever other cultural facet we're looking at in match number eight or nine when we take those breaks. Your match number 10 keeps us in Europe for the tertiary conference league tournament, the Europa Conference League. They are in what is called the knockout round playoff. What that means, there are 16 teams left alive. Each pair is playing a home and away two-legged tie. The winners will move on to the bracketed knockout round stage. Your matchup, Lech Poznan, they are playing out of Poland, versus Bodu Glimt out of Norway. The first leg, by the way, went nil-nil in Norway. So advantage to the Polish side in this case. They play out of the extra Klasa, which is just below average, the number 28 ranked league in all of UEFA. The team is known as the Railway Men, as they have been for exactly 100 years. Happy birthday to them. Well, last year, technically, they were founded in 1922. The city they play in is Poznan. Lech is, uh, refers to the name of the founding father of the country. Poznan is the fifth biggest city in the country. Well over a half a million people there. It's in the west central part of the country. One of the things it's perhaps best known for in the region, if not worldwide potentially, is it is a huge theatrical performance city. In addition to a number of great big traditional theaters, there are as many as 30 uh, substantive alternate alternative theatrical groups uh, that are incorporated or performing at any one given time. And for a city that size, that's just amazing. Funny-wise, they qualified for this event. Well, first, they were last year's Extra Clasa champions. In fact, they've won the title eight different times. The Europa League, the secondary tournament, one notch above this one. They've made the round of 32 twice. 2011 was the last time. Champions League, they've never been to the group stage. Their journey this year in the postseason, well, they lost in the first qualifying round of the Champions League, and then they dropped down to the Europa Conference League second qualifying round. They finished in the group stage four points behind Villarreal for first place in this event, and that is why they are having to play one more round to get into the knockout round, whereas the winners of the ECL group stage automatically got to advance to that. The best player they have going in this event, I believe, is Swedish striker uh, Michael Ishak or Mikhail Ishak. Four goals, three assists on the event. Uh, He is also tied for number one in league scoring in Poland. He's netted nine times. European footy fans are likely to know him from somewheres or other. He's played for a number of yo-yo teams, uh, Köln and Nuremberg in Germany, and Parma over in Italy. Currently, his team sits in third place domestically, seven points behind the leaders, uh, Rakov Chestakova. 
The defense is where their bread is getting buttered. They have a top three one in that regard. They give up less than a goal per match. They're only in ninth place in the ordinal ranking at about a goal and a quarter per match on offense. But this isn't the highest scoring league in the world. Everybody's fairly close. They've got a top three goal differential overall. The best player, I think, on the entire team is Nika. (laughs) Boy, I should have practiced this one a little more. Kavek Kaveskiri. I'm not even got there's a lot of K's involved. Don't make me spell it. He is from Georgia, plays central midfielder, has a goal, no assists yet, but he's nearly a 90% accurate passer. That is second best in all of the extra classa, and he tracks back very solidly on defense. Very well-rounded player. Team's current form, they won two straight matches and are unbeaten in their last five. And now Bodu Glimped. There's a slash in between. It's an interesting uh, way to name a club. Bodu is the name of the city. And Glimped, which means lightning, is the nickname. Bodu is well in the northern half of the country, one of the most uh, northernmost clubs in the entire world. City of about 60,000, biggest one in that region, as you might imagine. They've won the league title twice, not last year, but the two years before that. Prior to that nice little run, they had largely been a yo-yo team. This year, they started in the Champions League first qualifying round, and they made it all the way to the playoff round. And then they finished in third place in the Europa League group stage. So hence the reason that they get to continue their international journey, yet one more tournament down below. A handful of teams get to play in all three every year. Interesting. By the way, the Elite Sierra in Norway, that is the 15th ranked league in UEFA. So a substantially better league right now than the Polish Extra Klasa, which I personally find interesting because I think when I first started started following football a few years ago in earnest, it was actually Poland that was closer to the top 10 and Norway that was a bit more middle of the pack. Last year, Boda Glimt finished in second place in the league, 18 points behind league champions Molde. Uh, They had the number one offense by lots. And we're going with last year's stats because the summer league hasn't started yet. The Northern European teams aren't going. So they were getting almost three goals per game last year and had a top three defense to go with that. Uh, Number one league score by a lot for them last year was Amal Pellegrino, uh, Norwegian left winger. He was also second best in assist with 10. Bring forth... The bonus matches. And thank you for helping us usher them forth as you got to help decide what the content was going to be. One more time, Soccer Noob USA is my handle on Twitter. At the beginning of every week, Monday or Tuesday, typically, I put up the candidate matches for these very three unique bonus games. You vote, dreamy content gets made. It is magical. And the magic starts on Saturday with a first versus last place matchup. We dramatically call the... Route, route, route route of 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 the week 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 and it is a saturday match from australia the a league men top flight down under the 24th ranked league in all of the afc so just a notch or two below average i believe they're going to get one champions league group stage team and then one afc cup that's their secondary tournament group stage berth as well. The reason they're not getting more than that is because two seasons will have been completed uh, before the next AFC season. So things are a little bit in flux. The league is yet to announce how they're going to actually allocate the berths, but that's my best guess. 
domestically, the top six teams will get to go to the playoffs. Normally, the playoff winner would get to go to international competition as well. I'm a little less doubtful, or a little more doubtful, rather, that'll be the case for the 2023-2024 AFC Champions League and AFC Cup because of that timing thing once again. They're about two-thirds of the way through the season down there, by the way, and we get a derby. The Melbourne Derby specifically, number 12 in last place, Melbourne Victory. What has happened to them versus current number one, Melbourne City? A look at the table tells us that Victory trailed number 11, Western United, and number 10, Brisbane Roar, by just two points each. There's no relegation, but they still don't want to uh, have the embarrassment of finishing in last. And they have a match in hand on both. So while this is the last place team, this is not a team that uh, is typically very bad, and I suspect will climb some. Perhaps just not this day, since it's the route of the week, and they are the roadkill candidate. Meanwhile, Melbourne City, they lead number B Central Coast Mariners by eight. The league regular season seems very much theirs to lose. This is the first meeting of the year since December, when a game, which has not been rescheduled to my knowledge, was abandoned after were a number of incidents of violent hooliganism in and or around the stadium. The series between these two in recent years, dead even. 14 and 11 and 14, the record for each. We will start with the home team, as always, Melbourne Victory. It is actually the most supported team in the entire league and the second most successful historically. So they're just really having a blip of a bad year here. In this league, they call the regular season champion the Premiers. They have won the Premier three different times. Last time was 2014-15. Then your playoff winners are called the Champions, and they have won that four times. 2018 was the last time they got to hold up that particular trophy. 2020 Champions League, they made the round of 16, and that is tied for the best that they have ever done. This year, they didn't quite make the group stage. They lost in the playoff round. They got to go to that because last year, they finished in second place in the regular season, as well as making the semifinals for the playoffs. This year, the problem has been the offense absolutely evaporated in the uh, nearby desert air. Number 11 in that regard, getting just over one goal per match is all. They do have a defense that ranks in the top third of the league, roughly. It's uh, not, not great, but good. Tied for number seven overall on goal differential. I do not think this is a team that will finish in last place by the time everything is said and done. Number two in successful dribbles per 90 minutes. Yes, I've been finding from some fun stats. Ben Folamy, I like pointing out guys like this. He's a 23-year-old left winger from Australia. He's got a goal and an assist as well. Uh, Give you a little perspective on how maybe this league compares just a little bit in a certain way to English leagues with which we're more familiar Two different times he has played for Ipswich Town in England, which is a League One team or currently in the third tier. And I think he played for Crystal Palace when he was in his uh, pre-senior years, played for their academy, I want to say. The best player they have going overall, though, Jake Brimmer, an English attacking midfielder. Three goals on the year, one assist, great passer, pretty good tackler. He actually came up with Liverpool, but he never made any senior appearances for them. He's been much more successful down here, and in fact, last year made the A-League men all-star team. Team's current form, only one little win in their last eight. Uh, That win was two matches ago, by the way, at home against number six Wellington Phoenix, three to one. And I think this is particularly telling, considering they haven't been able to find much offense 
they haven't kept a clean sheet in their last eight matches either. So my money's still on that they will climb somewhat, but how high? Well, if they don't get one side of the ball or the other in order, maybe not very far at all. Melbourne City, I was going to say coming to town, but it's already their town. It's a Melbourne Derby. This is the 45th ranked AFC club. Two-time defending premieres, and those are their only titles. They have yet to win. Oh, no, they have won one playoff championship two years ago. They went out in the Champions League as the second-place finisher just last year. Only the winners got to advance. Uh, This year, number one offense, number B defense, number one overall goal differential by a factor of two. They are running away with the regular season. Uh, Best player in the league and number one score by a whole heck of a lot. 16 on the year. We've mentioned him before, Jamie McLaren, striker for them. He's previously been with Hibernian over in Scotland. He's also the most accurate passer in the league by almost 10%, which, trust me, is a lot. 79% accuracy rate. That is Curtis Good. He plays center back for them. Uh, He was an all-star last year as well. And in my opinion, they've got the best goalkeeper in the league, seven clean sheets, Thomas Glover. We will try not to hold it against him. He came up through his youth uh, through his youth years with the Tottenham Hotspur Academy. Boo. Anyway, teams are in form. They have won two straight matches and are unbeaten in their last eight. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. We come not to make fun of them for the most part because, hark, we have just serenaded them with song. Another Saturday match is the most meaningless match in the world. The one you have voted for is out of the 24th ranked league in all of Europe, the NB1. I am not going to try to pronounce it in Hungarian, but that is the country. They get one team in the Champions League at the end of the year that will go to the first qualifying round and a couple of teams in the ECL that get to start in the second qualifying round. On the other end of the table, two of the 12 teams are going to get relegated. And perhaps blessedly in a way, these two teams can, for the most part, in a way, kick back and relax and know that they won't have to worry about either of these things. They're in the middle of the table. Oh, so meaningless. Don't let it be an existential crisis. Enjoy the position. Number seven, Pakshi SC. They are playing host to number eight, Mezukovic. There we go. I did practice that one. Uh, look at the table. Paxi currently lead uh, Mazukovic by four on just goal differential. They're tried on, tied on points. They trail number three, uh, Pushkash FC Academy, which is the lowest team in line for an international tournament berth next year, by six points. Meanwhile, uh, Mazukovic, they lead number 11, Budapest Hanved by five. And Budapest Hanved is the team that is the higher of the two in the relegation zone. This has been a pretty a pretty even series in recent years. Pakshi with a slight advantage, 9-4-8. and eight. They got that extra win this year on the road earlier this season. Uh, a 1-2 win was theirs. We'll talk about them first. Interestingly, I have seen this all as one word. They are known as, I guess I should say it quickly, nuclear team, as opposed to the nuclear team, just nuclear team. The only nuclear power plant in the entire country is there, and about 40% of the country's electric energy consumption comes from it. So while we won't make fun of the team for its meaningless, consider that your most meaningless fact for this particular half of the match. Uh, the name of the city is not Pakshi, but simply Pax, 
P-A-K-S. It's about about 20,000 people. It's an hour south of Budapest in the uh, south, south central part of the country. Their first ever Division I season was in 2006, but it didn't take them too terribly long to find a bit of success. In 2011, they had their best ever finish in the league, finishing in second place. They went to the Europa League and won a match there in the second qualifying round before losing. Last year, they finished fifth place in the league. This year, offense, not a problem at all. One in two-thirds goals per match puts them in the top three. Defense, very much a bugaboo. They are tied for worst in that regard, giving up one in three-quarters goals per match. Their goal differential overall, when you combine the two, it averages out to the meaningless position that they are in. They do have the number one scorer in the league, interestingly. He's netted it 12 times. That is Barnabas Varga, central uh, center forward for them. Team's current form, as you would expect, one, one, and one in their last three. That's perfect for a meaningless team. And now, Mezukovic, uh, that is a town of the same size, 20,000, but in a very different part of the country, up northeast. It is famous for the, and named for this family, Zori Thermal Baths, so a very touristy area, a lot of hot mineral springs there. This is their sixth straight year in Division I, but only their seventh overall this century. So a couple of, uh, well, both I wouldn't call yo-yo teams quite, but this one is. They won the second division in 2012-13, the lone domestic trophy I believe they've ever raised. Last year, they didn't miss relegation by much. They finished in 10th. This year, they've got the number 10 offense, but a little bit better on defense. Number six in that regard, so not quite a mirror image of their opponents today, but close enough for horseshoes and hand hand grenades. Key player to look for, tied for number four in scoring with eight on the season, is Stefan Drazic. He is a Serbian striker who Belgian fans could recognize. He played for KV Mechelen, probably the best team that he's been with ever. Team's current form, 3-1-0 in their their last four, so they're in pretty good form. And for your most meaningless fact, (laughs) I found a fun one. Amongst many other, uh, well, not that many other famous people, I don't even know how famous this guy is, but uh, he made the Wikipedia page for the town, is the home of a guy named Sato Anderjan, who, if you're a Hungarian music fan, you may know him as rapper and funk artist Funk Tashticus. Funk Tashticus. Fun to say, maybe, maybe not. Let's hear a little bit of his work. I'm a Soros. Six feet, beat. Ármányi szeretem a kátrát, úgy szenvedem, hogy átok egy szerepet Irítévít állok a tereken a dámok, a meregek kibetettem a menetet Tízig vérig kihultak belőlem a hazug alatt Haluk a nyabaszó bulogató kutyák, ott a kalap tartó Támadak a madarak, az igazak egyedül maradak És bekatagnak az arkavarók Külön úton járok régen ébred alakú tele Kurvák vagytok hitványférgek I'll tell you what isn't the least bit fantasticus and that is the match of Disappointed! And as you might guess, even if you're a brand new listener, this is going to be a match that you have voted for between two last place teams. The one we're going to get is a Bulgarian first league match on Monday, appropriately for a match of Disappointed. This league is ranked, by the way, number 26 in UEFA. Bulgaria is pretty much spot on average. We're not even going to bother talking about what teams are going to get to go to the international tournaments uh, finishing up near the top of the table because these two (laughs) won't catch a sniff. 
We're talking about number 15, Haybar, and number 16, last place, Spartak Varna. One of these two, or whoever finishes in last, probably be one of these two, will get automatically relegated. Whoever finishes in second to last at the end of the season will have to fight for their top flight lives next year by winning a relegation playoff match against the second place team from the second division in this country. A quick look at the table tells us that Haybar, they lead Spartak Varna by four. So Varna aren't way out of it. They've got a hill, if not quite a mountain to climb. And they trail number 14, Pirin Blagovgrad by 11 on goal differential. They're tied on points. So things are a little bit cluttered at the bottom of the table. Uh, for reasons we'll get into shortly, I still think that these two will be at the very bottom come the end of the season. Uh, Haybar won when they played earlier this season, nil one for one of their only wins on the year. I don't even have a punchline for this. Haybar, your nickname's the Gravediggers. Yeah, we're just going to go with that. It seems about right. By the way, Haybar is not the name of the town they play in. That's actually the old Thracian name for the local Maritza River. The town they play out of is Pajarjik, which is in the southwest central part of the country, about 65,000 people. Uh, it used to be called the European Egypt for its production of yellow rice, which was much better than the uh, gray or white rice that was produced in Plovdiv. But for some reason, they stopped producing it in the 1980s, even though they were kind of famous for it. This is still largely an agricultural area, both this city and this region. I uh, don't really have anything uh, for them honors-wise in the top flight, but they have won the second division of this country twice. Last time was 1990-91. They got promoted to the top league by finishing in second place last year in the second division. This is the fourth time that they have played in the top flight in over 100 years. Kind of seems Chicago Cubsy for the most part. In fact, they were in the third division as recently as 2018-19. Most of their history, they've actually spent bouncing between those two divisions, not top flight. 2009, this club actually got moved from their original location and became Belasitsa Petrich. But then local fans went ahead and recreated or refounded this club at the amateur levels. Uh, this year, they're probably wishing they hadn't. They've got the worst offense going in the league, uh, getting just over a goal every other match on average. The defense, almost as bad. They're giving up two per game, and they've got the worst goal differential. Uh, they've got two guys uh, with two goals each that are their team leaders. Nobody's managed to do better. The only guy of even a little bit of, of noteworthiness is assist leaderboard guy Bogomil Boserkin. He's got three assists. He's actually a defensive midfielder, but he's kind of having to pick up other people's slack. And at just 20 years old, well, I guess uh, maybe it's a little bit of hazing. Here's to hoping he can get to a better team sometime soon. Teams current form, unsurprisingly, they have lost three straight and are winless in their last seven. And now your visitors, that smell, yeah, that's Spartak Varna. Uh, it's the third largest city is Varna in the country, and it's the largest on the Bulgarian Black Sea coast, maybe about 350,000. Uh, it's a major port city, as you would imagine. Uh, the Navy is headquartered there. It's also a major financial center and the touristy region because it's on the Black Sea coast. I'd never heard this term before. I wonder how it compares to southern France. It is known as the Bulgarian Riviera. Uh, color me not booking a cruise there just yet, to be honest. I have yet to be sold on it. This is a big sporting area, but due to the proximity to the Black Sea, it's not football that does so well here. It's competitive swimming. 
Interesting. Maybe they just got a bunch of swimmers to play football for them, and that's why they're not doing very well. They are known as the Falcons, by the way, and they finished in third place in the second division in the last year. My guess is that for financial or whatever other reasons, the winner of last year's second division simply must not have moved up. This team has actually won the league title before, but it's been 90 years, and they were known back then as Shipchensky Sokol. This is a definitional yo-yo team. They've won the second division seven different times. Last time was 2005-2006. This year, they've got the worst defense in the league going, giving up over two goals per match. Only team that's, that's that bad in that regard. They're not anywhere near a goal per match. So their offense isn't the worst in the league, but it's a bit putrid, to be honest. They've got three different guys with two goals each. The best of those three probably uh, Boshidar Vasev, as he's also got two assists, which that whopping amount ties him for the lead for his team in that regard as well. Team's current form, 2-0-1 in their last three, but don't get overly ecstatic for them. They are still worthy of your score. The two wins were in the FA Cup against non-top flight opponents. Their only actual win in the league season came actually all the way back in September. And so with that concluding our run of the bonus matches, rather than wishing, uh, you know, these two, uh, I was trying to think of a derogatory name to call them stinky pants clubs. I have no idea. I always got to be careful because person noob is around and listening in a part of the show. But in any event, we will shoo them away and shoo myself away in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get them away. Hey, boo. Boo. And that's a wrap on episode number one, two, three. It was easy as ABC here at Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. Thank you very much, as always, to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry to Dan, the Interno Inferno, whose creative efforts and inspirations remain, as always, en fuego. Thank you so much, and kisses for you, daughter person. Thank you so much for caring about the animals of the world and helping me out with the show. Thank you very much as well to the country of Monaco and the French Riviera in general for delicious fish stew. We also thank whoever that guy was who was doing the music. I've already forgotten his name. Uh, thank you to Arabian Oryxes for not being as endangered as you used to. Thank you most of all to you for being part of the show as listener. We wouldn't do this without you. We hope that you have enjoyed us as your change of pace soccer footcast podcast, rather footcast. We could call it that. I suppose we hope that you will pass us on to your footy minded friends. If you had lots of fun and we'll be sure to do the same again next time. So until next week, have yourselves a fabulous footy week. Take care.